You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 4. And uh, my wife told me how that <laughs> my title of my message uh, sounded a little Trump-esque. <laughs> and uh, I, it wasn't planned that way. And this is in no way, in no way, <laughs> an endorsement of, that, of him. Okay. But the title of today's message is Winning Like Jesus. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's the goal of today. What I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do is to lead us into victory, is to lead us into victory. One of the, the clearest, greatest obstacles that Jesus faced as being fully God and fully human, and this leans into this dual thing of who Jesus was. Sometimes we really do get lost in this idea that Jesus was 100% man, like you and I, okay, that he, he dealt with the things that we deal with on this earth. That he faced temptation the same way that we face temptation, disappointment, discouragement, uh, the lack of hope, hopelessness, um, frustration with other people. Jesus dealt with all of those things. Even though he was fully God, he was still fully man. And, And part of the reason why we need to understand this is because we see the ultimate model in Christ Jesus on how to win through some of the tougher things in life. And so today, what I want to give to you guys today is this, are these keys that Jesus himself walked through that offer up uh, ways that we can be victorious in the different areas of our life, no matter what we are facing. And so the passage that we're talking from today is in Matthew 4, and it's the temptation of Jesus. And we're all somewhat familiar with this this story, this passage. But I want to go ahead and read this to you, if that's okay. It'll be on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Um, And I just want us to, to, to talk through this, because I believe that Jesus offers up three keys. And if anything we can learn from this is this, is that Jesus offered a model here. He offered a model for us on what to do. Also, the things that we need to stay away from. There are things that we need to avoid in order to be victorious and things that we need to do in order to be victorious. But also what we see is this, is that Jesus overcame for us. He overcame for us. And so the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is basically us getting a 30,000 foot view of the understanding that because Jesus won, we win also. Because Jesus won, because Jesus overcame temptation, because Jesus overcame frustration, hopelessness, discouragement, and pushed on, so can you. Why? Because the same Spirit that is in Christ Jesus dwells in you. All right, so that's exciting. That should be something that you go, amen, that's wonderful. Why? Because you don't have to be a victim of your experiences or circumstances. You can overcome. All right, so in Matthew 4, we'll start in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, stop. This is how we also know that this is a model and a picture for us to understand that He overcame for us. Jesus was led. He was led by the Spirit. 
After 40 days, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Everybody say, duh. All right. Then the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. So we see Jesus in the midst of this story here. And he finds himself in quite a predicament. He's being led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, into a time of separation. But in the midst of this, Jesus finds himself alone. Alone in the wilderness. He finds himself vulnerable, isn't he? Why? Because if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, you'd be pretty vulnerable too. I I struggle with 21. And I don't even do it the way Jesus did it. You know what I'm saying? Like a candy-only fast is hard, guys. Come on, like, just get with this, right? You're like, I'm not watching TV on Thursday nights between 7 and 7.30. I'm giving up Snickers on Wednesdays. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're, you're negotiating with God during your fast. Jesus straight up was like nothing. Not just food, but water, like nothing. 40 days and 40 nights. And you guys know, like, that is the extent, like, it's, it's, it's humanly impossible, all right? So, so Jesus goes after 40 days. Uh, that Jesus goes, and so he finds himself vulnerable. But he also, in the midst of being alone and being vulnerable, he is prone to attack. That's why he's tested. See, the enemy thought that he could catch Jesus in a weak place. And this is the only time, really, in Jesus' ministry that we see the enemy attack him this blatantly, this openly, this uh, just, just out and out. And so Jesus is open and prone for attack, and he was in a place where the enemy thought he could tempt Jesus because of this, but in reality, Jesus was setting up a model so that we could overcome. As I said a second ago, there's two things that we can learn from this. We can learn the things that we need to do and the things that we need to avoid doing, the things that we need to stay away from. There are, there are places that we can find ourselves prone to an attack. Places when we're alone. Places when we're vulnerable. When we're dealing with a, a, an offense. When we're dealing with a weak area in our heart. A pain that's unresolved. We find ourselves vulnerable. And isn't it funny that when we feel the most vulnerable, sometimes we isolate ourselves and we get alone. The enemy sees that. He knows that. So we're going to talk about how to avoid these things. The first temptation that Jesus faced was this, was a hunger temptation. The hunger temptation. The devil goes up to him and says, listen, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Uh, I know this, that, um, and some of you have done the same thing, 
where you're doing a Daniel fast. Anybody here know what a Daniel fast is where you're just eating fruits and vegetables and, and uh, nuts and stuff like that. But if you're doing a Daniel fast for a certain amount of time, after like a day, <laughs> you begin reading box labels really carefully. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, um, you know, what is this word? Is this a grain? <laughs> you know, I think it is. I, I just, I'm going to go ahead and call it a grain. All right, we're, we're good enough. You know, potato chips beca- fall into the acceptable category. You know what I'm saying? And you just, you kind of mesh things up. And you can, we can just safely assume that these stones were at, in the least bit, a little bit, not just like this ludicrous idea of like, what are you talking about? But Jesus probably was like, man, I really would like to turn these into bread, you know? Like, I'd like to go zip, 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 you know? A pizza pocket or something, you know? I, I don't know, but Jesus was hungry, he was hungry. And so this was a very real temptation. But here's what Jesus said. He said, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now Jesus makes this powerful statement. And if I don't know how many of you are familiar with Bethel Church in um, Redding, California. But Chris Volaton explains this. He's one of the pastors up there. But he talks about the difference between truth and higher truth. See, because when Satan attacked Jesus, he wasn't coming absent of truth. But what he was doing was this, was coming to him without the reality of truth being planted in his spirit. And what Jesus combated Satan with was a higher truth because he was truth. It was in him. It was who he was. And isn't this the way that the enemy sometimes works with us when he plants little thoughts and they become these little thoughts that become very powerful things. But the way that we rise above it is by anchoring ourselves in the reality of the truth of the word of God that is transformational. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't just doing the Christianese answer. No, he was doing something much more powerful. He was declaring a principle And so this is the first point of winning like Jesus. If we're going to win like Jesus, we need to stay united in fellowship with the Word of God. We need to stay united in fellowship with the Word of God. This is so much more than just simply reading your Bible, but actually having a fellowship with the living Word of God. Can I I tell you something about what the Word of God is in John chapter 1, verse 14? I want to encourage every one of you this week to make time to read John chapter 1. It is an amazing, powerful, filled with revelation about the truth of who Jesus is as the Word of God. You need to know this. It says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What is this saying? This is powerful, powerful truth. And it's this, Jesus, the one who walked among us, the one who laid down his life, was the Word made alive. 
everything that Jesus came to give us, that he showed us when he walked, when he healed, when he raised the dead, when he set people free, when he cast out demons, when he went to the cross, when he was laid in the tomb, when the Holy Spirit rose him up from the grave. Everything that Jesus did is a mirror of what the Word of God does for us. That is why John 1.14 says that He is the Word full of truth and grace. Well, you have to have intimate fellowship with the Word of God if we're going to win like Jesus. The Word is truth. It brings us into the revelation of the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father says that we're no longer slaves. We're no longer servants. We're no longer to be fearful. We're no longer to tuck our tail, to run and hide, but we are sons and we are daughters. That is what grace does. This is the job of the Word of God to bring you into the full perspective of the truth of what God created you to be. That is why if you don't read it from that perspective with your heart renewed, with your heart in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to get it. When you come to the Word of God, your prayer should be, Holy Spirit, make this alive to me. Let it be a revelation of the heart of the Father to me. Because when it is, it will jump off the page to you to be both truth and grace. See, I believe, and if, if, let me just... Side note this, but one of these, these cultural arguments that we're having right now is this. Is we're talking about the contextuality of the Word of God. And so things come in. Alternate truth comes in. But see, the reality of the truth of the Word of God is it's not supposed to be read like a book. It is not supposed to be read even like a manual. It is supposed to be read like a love letter. And just the same way that I would write my wife a love letter, if she was not in love with me, it would read a lot different, wouldn't it? If she was angry at me and I said, baby, your eyes are so beautiful. Girl, I love you. You are the finest thing to walk the earth. I'm so glad you're my wife. I am so glad. When I think about you, my heart is full. This is good stuff. Somebody write this down for me, all right? And I wrote that, and she was mad. She'd be like, uh -huh, please. My eyes, man, I've been glaring at him the whole time. He knows I'm giving him the stink eye. Like, it would not be read from the same place. You can imagine the same words in the Bible that somebody's heart who's not renewed, that's not intimately in love with Jesus, that doesn't receive the word of God as a reflection of Jesus being truth and grace. Listen, their heart just pings off. It doesn't, it doesn't absorb it. And so this is what Jesus did when he looked at Satan. He said, you want me to make these stones bread? I just kind of imagine a slightly cocky Jesus like, what? You want to make these stones bread? I ain't called to make these stones bread. I'm supposed to live off of every word that comes out of my father's mouth. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of my father's mouth. See, he might have just, mum just mumbled that. And like, I'm not supposed to live all that. But he stood up and he said, I want Andy to know something. Now, when he's walking through a tough time, Andy, don't find yourself in a vulnerable position. Trust the words of your loving Father that I made alive to you through grace and truth. Okay, so, so we see this. And so 
The Word is truth. The Word is life. It's able to transform our life. The Word of God is not subjective or selective. And this is something that we need to kind of let saturate into our hearts. And I want to speak to every generation that's represented here. Especially the younger generation that's represented here. Is that the Word of God is not subjective or is it selective? Meaning this, it's not subjected to your experiences. Nor is it subjective to the experiences of the culture in the day that you live in. The Word of God is not subjective. The Word of God is powerful. And the reason why it's not subjective is because it holds in itself the power to transform culture. Okay? Neither is it selective for every person here, old and young. We don't get to pick the things we like about the Bible, but we receive the Bible as the full and whole instruction given from God. That means this. We don't get to camp out on our idea of truth apart from love. We do not get to stand up and declare what is right and wrong according to the Word of God when our hearts, please hear me on this, are so far and absent from the love of Jesus. We have to take the whole Word of God. And if we are going to be people who win like Jesus, then we must stay united in fellowship with the Word of God. All right? Number two, the second. And this is what Jesus said concerning that Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you find yourself today and you're beginning this journey with the Word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to create a hunger in you. Set aside a time of the day that you spend with the Lord. Create a pattern in your life to spend time with God. You have a pattern for everything else. Create a pattern to spend time with God. Temptation number two. This is what the, the enemy said. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command the angels concerning you and, they'll lift, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered them. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, this, this is probably um, the, the most dangerous thing, the da- most dangerous lie the enemy tries to plant into our our life. And so Jesus sees himself there, and the enemy thinking this that Jesus in his natural state feels abandoned by his father. And so what he throws out to Jesus, and I want to kind of give you a, a different angle on this really quick. And it's this this concept between a father and a child is that if your dad's so big, if your dad's so strong, if your dad's so powerful, he'll be able to get you out of a tough situation, won't he? If he loves you so much, if you're the one who's been called the, the son, and that's why Jesus said this, if, or the enemy said this, if you are the son of God. He was challenging his sonship. He was challenging his position. And the enemy thought that he could find Jesus in a vulnerable place to say, listen, you're alone, you're hungry, where is your father? He led you out here. Why do you find yourself in this weak position? So why don't you just cast yourself off the edge here and he'll surely send his angels and pick you up. But Jesus understood something and and this is what the 
the, the, the point is, the big thing is here, is that you have to stay united in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You have to stay united in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the second we feel vulnerable, one of the lies the enemy plants into our thinking is this. Where are the people who love me? Why do I feel all alone? Why is nobody checking on me? Why does nobody care? Jesus actually answers this question for us, this What's being contested here? So winning like Jesus, point number two, stay united in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. See, not only was Jesus not feeling neglected by his father, but he actually ended up defending his father. He was in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to give to you this morning, this idea, this, this, uh, this big thought here, is that this is where it starts. See, because we notice something interesting about the temptation of Jesus is after this second temptation, the enemy stops challenging him with the thought if he's a son of God. Why? Because when our security is tight with the Holy Spirit, the enemy knows he has a limited ground in which to attack us from. And so we have to cultivate true love and passion for the Father Why do we need to do that? Here's why you have to cultivate an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. is because it connects you in with the Father, with your Father God. And what you realize as you cultivate intimacy with the Holy Spirit is this. And and let me stop something. Let me stop right here. Okay, I'm going to just bang a drum for a second. Is that this, this term, intimacy with the Holy Spirit, should not be foreign to us. The Holy Spirit is not a silent partner in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has a distinct job. As a matter of fact, we're about to read a scripture in the book of John where Jesus looks at his disciples and looks past his disciples into us and says, it's good that I go. I've got to go. It's good that I go. Why? So I can send the Holy Spirit. And if you're not cultivating intimacy with the Holy Spirit every day, what is going to happen is that nothing else in your Christian walk is going to make sense. When the enemy knew that he could no longer attack Jesus' sonship because he had intimacy with the Holy Spirit, he stopped. He stopped. And the enemy will stop in your life too when your security is tight with the Holy Spirit, because it does things in us. Here's what it does. Here's what will happen, is that you'll be amazed at how much the Father loves you. Some of you just simply need to be amazed at the love of the Father for you. Some of you, if you would see fully the love that the Father has for you, it would change your life. You see that through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds you of that. You'll be overwhelmed by the depth and the thought and the provision that He has for you. You'll begin to see the things that God has done in your past and will do in your future that are lining up for something that is amazing in your life that you might not even be able to see in full view yet. Let me help you. Some of you have been through some rough stuff, stuff, some junk, some garbage. That's French. 
and you're still kind of walking around in a bit of a haze and going, why did I do that? Why did I go through that? Maybe you did it because you made a mistake. Maybe somebody did you wrong. It doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't matter. But you're going through this and you're saying, I don't understand how this adds up or builds into anything into my life. But here's what, ha- here's what happens. Is that as you walk in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, God begins to take those things that you thought were meant to destroy you, that were attempts to bring you down, that were just roadblocks in your life, and He begins to insert His justice and His grace and His truth, and He causes those things to build you, to create a testimony, to turn your life into a beautiful masterpiece, and then He puts things in front of you that make sense, and before you know it, you stand back, and maybe you find yourself in a time of worship as you're worshiping the Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes down, and you begin to see your life like da-dut, da-dut, and you begin to weep because you say, God, you are so great, you are so amazing, but it is because you had intimacy with the Holy Spirit. See, because only the Holy Spirit is able to take the things in your life and begin to order them. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So let me ask you a question. When you fell into that hole, were you righteous? The answer is yes, you were. He still sees you. He still knows you. That's why we need to finally kick the, the, the fable lie of the enemy that says that I've done something so terrible or so awful that God can never forgive me. We need to kick that thing out. Why? Because the love of the Father is wonderful. But we have it through intimacy with the Holy Spirit, don't we? Intimacy with the Holy Spirit reminds us how secured we are because the Father calls us son and daughter. We need that because God is calling every one of you into something big that's bigger than you. He's calling you into something big. This is what I love about the Father. When my youngest, um, she's great. I love talking about my kids. I said my youngest is great. All of them are great. <laughs> I mess with my kids. If you don't know that about me, I do. I tease them. But we went to Florida last year, and we went to this um, uh, this high ro- this like ropes course for kids. We were out in this place where there's a bunch of stuff going on. So Lily wanted to get up there and do it. She was doing this this thing, <laughs> you know, like I don't know, I wanna, I can do it, and she's kind of. Looking at it, and in her eyes, she said, I want to do it. In her heart, she's like, I'm not sure. So we pulled her aside. Kim and I, you can do it. You can do it. We'll be right here. And, and, and I ain't joking. I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> like, it's like 25 feet in the air, and they just got them by this harness of this thing, and they're walking on, like, one rope, and, you know, and I'm like, uh-uh, man. <laughs> I'm like, what is this rope tested for weight limit-wise? You know what I'm saying? And so she gets out there, and I could see her at the very top of this thing on the platform about to walk out on this rope. And it's, it's doing this whole thing, you know. And she's nervous. And we're yelling up there, Lily, you can do it. And she steps out there and she starts walking it. And her confidence is, you know, she's looking back and she's doing this. And Lily, you can do it. Lily, you can do it. And the more she gets out there, the more confident she gets. Can I tell you something? The reason why you have to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit is because every one of you is called to step out into something big. 
But until you hear the Father say, you can do it, son. You can do it, daughter. You're not going to have the confidence to do it. The Holy Spirit's job is to do that. You can do it. That's why you have to cultivate intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. In John 16, 12 through 15, Jesus said this. I have much more to say to you. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. You guys need to memorize that passage right there. Some of you think Jesus doesn't talk to you anymore. Well, (laughs) John 16, verse 12 says differently. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he, he will make known to you. Here's what Jesus is saying. There's a connection line. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for us. He is saying, Father, Andy's going for it. He's stepping out in what he knows to be true about you. He knows he's your son. He's going for it. Let's just send some angels down his way. Let's just send down the Spirit. And he's going, Holy Spirit, here's what the Father wants Andy to know. Go and tell him now, now, now. <laughs> Oh, all right, all right. (laughs) Temptation number three. Hey, parents, thanks for moms. Thanks for cleaning up the poop. All right. Temptation number three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, here's what I want you to see about this. Very, very important. Enemy knew he could not attack positionally Jesus' relationship in heaven. So what he did was this, is he gave him what he owned. He was the God of this world. Who cares? You can have it. He says, listen, this is attractive, isn't it, Jesus? All this that you see, all these beautiful cities, if you'll just bow down and you worship me in my realm of authority, I'll give it to you. And here's what Jesus returned to him. He said, listen, uh uh-uh. Get away from me, Satan. He knew he had been defeated. He knew that he had no positional truth to which to attack him. He says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The last attempt of the enemy's attack It's to pull our perspective out of the perspective of heaven onto the perspective of this world. If the enemy cannot catch you vulnerable, if the enemy cannot attack your sonship, your daughtership, what he will do is try to pull your attention onto the perspective of the world. Jesus said it like this in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 22, as he explained exactly what the seed falling among the thorns meant. I want you to please hear this. He said, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The parable of the sower is confusing. 
because we see the seed of the word of God, the seed that Jesus refers to as something that is supposed to bring life, take root. But there are things in the different positions of the soil that choke it out. And the thing about the thorns is this, is that Jesus makes the direct correlation in the same way that he overcame Satan in the wilderness here. He said, listen, don't let your perspective get fixed on the perspective of the world. Keep your perspective in heaven. Now, here's the key. We understand that. I believe that most everybody here understands that. There's probably not a light bulb coming on right now. People going, yeah, I never heard that before. I know I got to keep my eyes on heaven. Here's where it's going to hit. How do you do that? Point number three, winning like Jesus. Stay connected in the fellowship of believers. Let me give you a reason why I believe that this was the last temptation of Jesus in the wilderness here and why after Jesus said these words, angels rushed in and tended to him. Because Jesus not only resisted the enemy so that we could resist, see the model, know that he's overcome for us, but then immediately he was attended by a cloud of witnesses, by angels that came and wrapped themselves around him and surrounded him. The way that you keep your perspective firmly fixed on heaven, is by staying in fellowship with other believers. This is the way we gain ground and stay connected in victory. Why? Because in the fellowship of believers is where we come to worship. Justin, you come on up. If I could just... just just have like a moment of solid clarity right here and the Holy Spirit speak to every one of us right now it's this is that this moment that we are in when we come gathered in this place on Sunday morning is so much bigger than something that you are called to do or or are supposed to do because of obligation in this moment when we come together what is happening is that we are coming into the intimacy of worship. That can only happen when believers are joined together, when their hearts are joined together first, when their voices are joined together, when encouragement abounds and flourishes in this place, when the name of Jesus is corporately lifted up, something powerful happens. It begins to shift our perspective out of this place to this place. Scripture in Hebrews doesn't say, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as it is a manner of some. Just because your name has to be called on roll, that is garbage. And let me say something in just my passion, please, for a second. But, but I need to say this across every generation, and it needs to be heard. If you're coming to church out of obligation, stop coming. If you're coming to church because your heart is beginning to be connected into intimacy and you are understanding what happens spiritually when the body of Christ comes together. One of the greatest revelations I got of this one time was with my friend Kristen Williams in New Zealand. I went over there a long time ago now and we did youth conferences and spoke at all these churches. It was, it was amazing, just amazing time. 
I remember one Sunday morning, we were there. I was, it was a Sunday night, actually. I was speaking at his church, and this kind of leaned over to me and said, Andy, we're the first time zone in the world. And sometimes I imagine that the praise in New Zealand starts and just like a wave at a stadium just carries across the world. And for one full 24-hour cycle, the name of Jesus is just being lifted up. Throughout churches and assemblies, all throughout the world, in different languages, in different ways, in powerful courses, and Jesus is being glorified worldwide. I just like, wow. That was awesome. It's like, yes. That is what Jesus desires. This is what lifts our perspective back to heaven. In this place, in the fellowship of believers, we're encouraged to pursue God and godliness. Who else is going to tell you? Go for it. Step out in what God's giving you, that God dream that God's giving you. Go for it. Hey, I'm praying for you for your family. Hey, I know that today stunk, but tomorrow is going to be better. Let's pray. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep pursuing him. I know that it's hard. It's hard for everybody. But you know what? When we link arms together and we put our arms around each other and we pray for each other and we encourage each other, guess what? It becomes something that gets easier and something that we're all moving together in. It keeps our perspective on heaven. It's a vehicle that God created to use our God-given talents to serve God and to serve others. I believe this with all my heart because the book of Ephesians tells us this in 1 Corinthians 12. Every person here has a gift. It's not an accident. The reason you have that gift is because Jesus Christ himself gave it to you. And he gave it to you. Why? The book of Ephesians says this. Because the gift you have is a gift I need to be encouraged to be the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. And the gift I have is a gift you need to be encouraged to be the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. So as we use our gifts, what happens is that we are building each other. And the greatest place of fulfillment for your gifts starts in the church. It doesn't stop in the church. It starts in the church. In the body of Christ, we see how we get wisdom to begin to be the salt and the light that we've been called to be in the world. We get the encouragement to shine like the brightness of the sun in the places of darkness that we go. Whether you call that place work or home or school, you've never been called to be changed into the image of that place, but to allow the image of Christ Jesus in you to change that place. And the only way you get the strength to do that is by staying connected in fellowship and by having the perspective of heaven and saying, Jesus, keep my eyes fixed on you. That's how we win like Jesus. This morning, all through this place, listen, some of you may say, well, Pastor, that's wonderful. I'm not really walking through that. Great. Praise the Lord. Be an encouragement. Be somebody that encourages somebody. But when we put all these things together... We begin to win like Jesus. We begin to see victory like Jesus when we love His Word. 
For some of you this morning, that's where you need to start. You need to say, listen, I've never looked at the Word of God before with this amount of passion and this understanding, this revelation that this is Jesus looking back at me and telling me how much the Father loves me. Just shooting out grace and shooting out truth. Some of you might need to just go to the Holy Spirit and spend a moment with the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, I'm sorry that I've been selective or subjective about the Word of God. I'm going to open up the whole Word of God and I'm going to look at it fully. And I'm going to receive it fully because it's powerful. It's able to transform my life. Some of you need to begin to pursue intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You've never invited the Holy Spirit to come and speak in your life, to be the testimony of Jesus that He's called to be. You don't invite Him into your personal times. You don't invite Him into your life. And you need to invite the Holy Spirit by name into your life. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It's important and it's necessary. And you have to cultivate intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you need to know what God the Father says about you. And every one of us here need to understand that you're much more than just somebody sitting in a seat this morning. But you're powerful and you are important and you are connected for a reason. And it's because simply I need you. We need you. Stay connected. Why? Because as you do, you gain victory. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today in the name of Jesus for Your great love. For Your great love. Father, today we pray just this, just this blanket warmth over every mom today, Lord. As in this nation, we celebrate Mother's Day, Lord. We understand that moms are a true gift from You, God. They're powerful. They speak prophetically and boldly into our life. Father, I thank you for the prayers that moms have lifted up through the ages. Lord, our nation would not be in the good state that it is without those prayers. And so, Father, we thank you for praying moms. Lord, I thank you for strong moms like my own. God, who just stood up in truth when it wasn't easy. and Declared truth in my life. And so, Lord, thank you for truth abounding in every mom's heart and every person's heart here. Lord, let your grace, Father God, fill every mom. Let strength, Lord, let appreciation abound in their hearts. Let them know how important and valuable they are. Father, for every one of us, Lord, let our turn our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Let us begin to cry out for you to begin to be poured out in us in such a real and deep way that we begin to cultivate intimacy. Lord, for every person, Lord, I just pray right now for every person that is stumbling upon the idea of not understanding the experiences of their life. Holy Spirit, begin to come now. Begin to order the steps of a righteous person. Begin to confirm your love. Begin to confirm the positional truth of a son and a daughter in hearts. Thank you, Lord. We exalt you, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? Pastor Ken and Jeannie, if you'd come on up. Carl and Marilyn, if you'd come on up, please. This morning, we just have this, this unique, unique day. What a beautiful day. Had a wonderful baptism. Moms, before you leave today... We have a little gift we want to give you. It's just a simple carnation. A small way of saying how beautiful and precious and wonderful you are. 
I read this yesterday on uh, Forbes. And Forbes said this, Forbes magazine, Money magazine said that if you had to estimate the worth of a mom, whether it's stay at home or work, it didn't matter. That if you had to put what they did in terms of a salary, (laughs) hey, dads, husbands, kids, you're broke. (laughs) It's close to $130,000 a year. They should be paid. That's Forbes. So um, I'm just saying, if you haven't done anything yet, you might want to grab a handful of them carnations or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> moms, listen, we can't say it with... Hold on, I, I, I'm going to say this. I don't care. I want to just say this. Women are capable of leading in a powerful way. Churches, nations, businesses. Go ahead and call me a liar. What I'm going to direct you to is the book of Judges. The fourth judge of Israel was Deborah, a prophetess. And when the general of Israel was too afraid to go to battle, she went to battle for him. And the Lord delivered the enemy of Israel Sisera into the hands of a woman. Because God saw fit somebody strong and righteous. And, and I just want to declare this because if we don't declare this, the world's going to do something different. And women, you are powerful and there's a great grace on you. And we declare that over you in the name of Jesus.